Today, I'm excited to be joined by Joe Polizzi. Joe is the founder of Content Marketing Institute and author of Epic Content Marketing, Content Inc., and has just released the second edition of Content Inc., which has a tagline, start a content-first business, build a massive following, and become radically successful with little to no money. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Today, we're diving into how restaurants and small businesses can add additional revenue streams and build a wildly loyal following by going all in on content marketing. Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Joe, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Kyle, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. I've read um, Epic Content Marketing and, uh, and, and really excited to, to, to discover how we can apply, you know, this content model uh, that you've uh, created to, uh, to, to restaurants and, uh, and smaller businesses. Uh, so I always like to, to start by asking uh, you, the guest, how, how you would describe your particular area of expertise or your, your zone of genius? Oh, genius is a little overstated, <laughs> Kyle. So let's, we'll take it down a notch. I'm, I'm learning every day about this thing. I've been in, I started in publishing in 2000 and I was lucky enough to fall into this area that was called custom publishing at the time. And now we, we know it as content marketing, but I have the whole idea behind it is wow, if we deliver valuable, relevant, compelling information to a specific audience over time, that's a heck of a lot better of a marketing system than interrupting through advertising. Not that I have a problem with advertising. There's always a place for it. I think there will continue to be, but I was infatuated by the selling without selling. So if I build a loyal audience and they know, like, and trust us, we, we can start selling a lot of things to them and they probably will recommend things that they would like to buy from us. So us fascinated with that, and I also had an entrepreneurial itch at the time. So from 2000 to 2007, I was at a publishing company doing this thing called custom publishing. I started renaming it or called it content marketing in 2007, launched what became the Content Marketing Institute. And so I've been living in this area called, uh, called content marketing for a long time. And I started focusing on really large enterprises. That's what the Content Marketing Institute did. And we had a, you know, big events and everything. And now I'm, I've got a new organization called The Tilt, and we're focused on smaller organizations and individual content creators and how they can build a loyal audience and then become financially free. So that's my thing. I mean, I, I wrote a mystery thriller in between, but basically <laughs> I write books, I speak, I, I start, I'm a serial entrepreneur just trying to help content creators make sense out of how do they monetize a loyal audience and become financially independent. Awesome, I love that. And uh, you actually, you actually have a bit of a background uh, in restaurants. You uh, you mentioned that you you grew up in restaurants. Would would you be able to tell us a bit about a bit about that experience? I did. Yeah, I grew up in Sandusky, Ohio, which is between Toledo and Cleveland, Ohio. If you're familiar with that, right on Lake Erie. Isn't there a is Cedar Point? Is that like Cedar, that amusement park? I grew up right on the causeway going into Cedar Point. So in the summer, I would look out my window or or go out the front door, and I would there would be Cedar Point traffic right there. Awesome. So I, that's I, where I grew up. 
And what interesting is, so my, my mom and dad owned a restaurant called Polizzi's Restaurant. It was a family restaurant, open really early for breakfast, basically, you know, like a lot of restaurants open all times. They say, so my dad would open it up at six o'clock in the morning for breakfast, and then they would stay open till nine, 10 o'clock, especially during Cedar Point season. If people were coming back, the park was closed and, and they were, you know, needed some place to eat, you know, they would go there. And I, I was, let's see, that was, I was three, four, five years old, and they ended up uh, selling the restaurant. I guess I was like eight years old. So my, you know, formidable years there, I would watch my dad cook on the grill. I would sit on the large freezer. He would put on a block of cheese and some chips for me, and I would, I'd watch him cook, and I was in my glory, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. It's awesome. Would, would you ever own a restaurant? Would you ever want to go back in that kind of business? I never would. <laughs> Why? Why not? I, uh, well, and maybe we can get into some of that discussion. I think the, I think it's a very challenging uh, financial position to be in, especially from the profit margins. And I'm sure you know this better than I do, but the research that I've done with my own family, as well as with knowing some people in the restaurant in industry, that the net profit margins are really tight. And it's very, very hard to be an independently run restaurant and be successful, especially with a lot of the chains that are out there. And I'm sure, you know, you, you talk to both of these types of companies, but, uh, but I guess my recommendation would be, I'm wondering if there's a better way as a restaurant owner, if you could drive multiple types of revenue than just, you know, butts and seats, if you will, or takeout orders, or that's where I'm excited about the opportunity where if we did, what, what if we were serving our customers with all sorts of different solutions, food solutions, as well as informational solutions, could a restaurant be more profitable? And I would say yes. So if I did open one, I would probably try to reimagine what it means to be a restaurant. I think that that's actually really smart. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of seeing that with, uh, with, with ghost kitchens and stuff like that. Yep. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I've, I've worked in restaurants for the better part of 20 years. And uh, it, it has often occurred to me that, um, you know, they, they're getting less yield out of, out of like the, the capacity that they have. You know, what's interesting is you mentioned ghost restaurants. Now, I know two case studies in my industry. One is Mr. Beast. So Mr. Beast is a popular YouTuber. He backs into this ghost, ghost kitchen concept called Mr. Beast Burgers, I think is what it's called. And then Anthony Pompliano, who's a big Bitcoin guy, he's actually an investment guy. He backs in, he's got big audience and he backs into Bitcoin pizza, which basically celebrated the anniversary of the first use of, of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin pizza, same thing ghost kitchen concept and basically has the concept, all the marketing's there, and then uses this chain of distributors to, to get the job done. I mean, what I'm, I'm under the assumption if you're a restaurant that's been doing it the hard way that started the, the more difficult way, instead of starting out with an audience. And that's where I think, boy, there's an opportunity and a challenge, right? Because if you already have an audience in a location, you can immediately get traction like Mr. Beast did, which, if I'm, if I'm the number, I don't know the exact numbers, but when I'm heard that concept is working pretty well for Mr. Beast. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it did. It did right away. And um, one of the takeaways for me uh, from the Mr. Beast uh, example was, man, you, you got to build your platform. Like your life depends on it. Um, because I, I think that it does. And, and, you know, if you just kind of have this platform first or audience first mentality, well, there's not much you can't do, it, it turns out. And so I guess that's a great segue because sure. um, I think you're, you know, you're, a, you're kind of a master at this. Um, 
And I will say, you know, when reading Epic Content Marketing, your book, uh, I was like, you know, I was kind of of two minds. I was like, one, damn, this is genius. And I'm going to adopt as much of this as I possibly can. And then I was also of the mind that, um, you know, a lot of these examples are, um, you know, they're, they're enterprises or they're, 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 they're big kahunas. They're, uh, you know, the Red Bulls, the Coca-Colas. And so I would love to, um, I'd love to hear from you a bit about how, uh, you know, some of the uh, content models you have created, uh, how can they apply to, how can restaurants uh, put these things into practice? You know, it's funny you, you said that. So Epic Content Marketing, I wrote in 2013. It got a lot of traction. It was sort of, I mean, I, I, I wrote two books before then, but that's the one that really took off. And then you're right. It was so large company focused and you got to have some kind of budget. And I'm like, well, what about the rest of us? What about the small business owners? What about if you're a restaurant to your point? And then I wrote a book called Content Inc. in 2015, which tried to follow the model of if you don't have a lot of money, you know, can you do something? So that one was a, that was a small business model. But the reason why I wrote the new version of Content Inc., which, which just came out is I, basically, I wasn't going to write any more marketing books, but when the pandemic happened, I used, I started getting pinged from a number of my small business owner friends or people that got laid off from their jobs saying, Joe, is this Content Inc. model still work? And I said, well, let me see. So I talked to McGraw-Hill Education. We said, let's do a new version of the book and let's see if the model works. And I believe I there's hundreds of case studies in that book, which are all small businesses, which are all, we have very little money to do something. Now, the challenge to your point is it takes time. So if you said, if somebody comes to me and says, Joe, I want to build a platform. I want to do it with content. I want to build a loyal audience. And when we say platform, that could be email. It could be YouTube. It could be TikTok. It could be Facebook group, whatever. Could you do that? And then can I be a multimillionaire after five years? And I would say, yes, I believe you can. I believe that if you do the model, and then, by the way, to your point, it doesn't, you could sell, you could be a restaurant. You could be a dentist. You could be fill in the small blank with what you think you are. The point is, if you do it like Mr. Bees did and build that platform, and it took him 10 years of videos every week until he built this amazing audience, which I think he has more than 50 million subscribers on YouTube now. And now he can do whatever he wants, right? Because he's big enough. But he didn't just get there. He put in the work and built the platform. So I think if my rec my recommendation would be, if you're a small business, is focus on being great at one thing online. So if you said, oh, I need to be everywhere my customers are at, I need to be on Twitter and I need to be on Facebook, I need to do TikTok, I would disagree with that. I'd say, no, you do not. You should be really, really good at one thing. And you have to pick whatever, based on your skills, based on who your audience is, you might say, oh, that should be Twitter, or that should be Yelp, or that should be uh, Facebook group, or whatever it is. But focus on being great at those one, that one thing, build that audience there have the secondary plan of strategy of a more controlled audience, that would be email. Because if we build on rented land and rented land means a social media platform that we can't control, that can change the rules at any time, you have to have a secondary strategy, that's email. And then if you deliver consistently over time, this is really important. So if, if you are the, this restaurant, you're a small business owner, first of all, how are you different? 
find your platform. So when I mean different, how are you going to cut through all the clutter? What's your hook? What makes you special? And you're going to deliver something on some platform consistently over a long period of time. You're going to build your audience, focus that on email, and then you just deliver like your life depends on it. And if you do that, generally what we find is it takes between nine and 18 months to get the first revenue. And that means first revenue outside of what you normally produce. And then it takes you about 26 months to say, I'm really making it. So that's your timetable. So if you're, if you said, Joe, I like this content marketing thing. I like your content model. I got six to nine months. I'd say, go interrupt people, go buy advertising. I can't, you can't, but you're creating an asset. It needs more than six to nine months. But if you said, I got 18 to 24 months, I'll put into this. What are my chances, Joe? I said, your chances are pretty good then. And I, then I like it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's awesome. I, I, so a lot of, a lot of restaurants are, are building a, a substantial portion of their business on Instagram. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things I, I often say is that uh, they're, they're in a way they're kind of uh, to, to, your, to your rented land uh, uh, concept. Uh, they're, they're kind of bending over to, to algorithms a little bit because, you know, like you mentioned, it is changing all the time and um, in, Instagram will, will throttle your reach. Um, and so um, I think that, so what you're saying is that it is, would you then recommend that they build it on, you know, like an email list? Is that? I'll give you a really good example. It's not a restaurant example, but it's a great Instagram example. And it's my friend, Wally Koval, his wife, Amanda started a site called Accidentally West Anderson. So the long story short is every day they upload a picture that looks like it comes out of a Wes Anderson movie, but it's a tourism site. So it's like, go see this, go see that. And they would take images and they, it would, you, when you go see it, go to accidentally Wes Anderson on Instagram and you'll see it. It's fascinating. And they would add detail. They, th their missing link, their hook, their content tilt, as we call it in the book was there wasn't enough detail behind these amazing images that they wanted to go see. So they started adding in all the detail and doing the hashtags and everything. And they got to about three, 4,000 followers. It started to take off. They got an interview in Vogue, Vanity Fair, one of the publications, took that, took it off, and they now have over a million followers, launched a best-selling New York Times book, a coffee table book. It's fantastic if you get it. And now they're taking that rented land strategy. So they got a million followers, right? Which is tremendous. Mm -hmm. But to your point, what happens if you get throttled by Instagram? What happens if Instagram blocks you? We've seen this with very public characters recently that they just get thrown off of platforms. This can happen. If it happens to really powerful people, it can happen to people with no power. Totally. So obviously. So what are you going to do? First of all, yes, you, you can keep Instagram as your base. There's no problem, but you have to have that strategy to have more control over your business operations because you don't want to wake up the next day and it could be gone. Look at Google+. Plus. Google Plus going along. Some people were spending a lot of money on that platform to build audiences. And then, oops, Google decides they don't want to do it anymore. And then you're out of luck. So yes, some kind of valuable email deliverable. Now, could that be an email newsletter? Sure. Could it be an email newsletter with coupons? Sure. Could it be an email, email with, could it be a cookbook? Could it be recipes? Could whatever, right? You think of some, whatever makes you special for your communications and your customer service, you can figure out what that is and what you're going to deliver. But that will ultimately, mark my words, that becomes your most important thing down the road. Because what you find out is if you have an email strategy where you have double opt-in permission to communicate with somebody all the time consistently, 
that's when you can start driving new revenues. That's when, so if I'm a restaurant, that's when you can start getting maybe some of your partners, some of the, the, the foods that you offer. Maybe they're going to want to sponsor what you do. They have different offers there. There's affiliate program. There's all kinds of other revenue opportunities that you can drive outside of butts and seats. And that's where it gets fun. That's where you might say, look, I'm a million dollar small business restaurant now. What does it, what does it take to get to 5 million? Your revenue mix changes that. It's not just through delivery and through selling food. It could be through all types of things because then you've got, then you really look at, oh man, we've got subscription opportunities and we get new products and on other services that we offer that you had never thought of as possible because they weren't, but you have an audience that doesn't just depend on coming into the restaurant every time. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's crazy valuable. And, um, and I just think it, it's such an eye opener because um, yeah, most restaurateurs, they, they are used to just kind of thinking, okay, how can I get the most out of my, my four walls? What's, you know, what's inside yep. my four walls and your model here, you know, the content ink model, the, the, the possibility um, is that like, like you mentioned, is that you can have this other, it's almost like an entirely different business um, that can, that is totally scalable as well. Um, and so do I have that right? First of all. Yes, ab absolutely. Right. Yeah, that's, that's it. So, and it, it is, Basically, it's a seven-step program we talk about in the book. We're not, we already went through some of them. But then it, it, you go out to eight or more different revenue options once you get, because when you start to build a loyal audience, you basically have one revenue bucket. And that revenue bucket, let's just say is, oh, we sell products. We sell food. It's take, takeout or in-room in dining. But then everything changes once you build an audience because you can say, oh my gosh, now we can do all sorts of things. And I would think about it this way. Think about it like your financial portfolio. If you put all of your retirement money into one stock, that's very, very risky, right? If I put everything into Bitcoin right now, you say, boy, hey, is he crazy? He's not, you need to diversify. And I would agree, you need to diversify. So what do we do as restaurant owners and small businesses? We put all of our revenue in one bucket, a product, a service, whatever. Or a media company might say it's all in advertising. I mean, remember when the newspapers were in trouble? They weren't in trouble because of print. They were in trouble because all of their revenue was in mostly one bucket, advertising and sponsorship. So what we want to do is we want to broaden that out. We want to diversify. And what you're seeing today if you look at the Amazons, the Googles, and then Apples, they, the Apples, they've got seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 different types of revenue coming through. And if one happens to go down, if God help us all, a pandemic hits, they're okay. Mm -hmm. Because as one goes down, one goes up, or you've got some protection. And that's what I want a restaurant owner to think about is let's be smart strategically long-term so that we can build a viable business that's going to be around five, 10 years, or that you can scale up to a point that's so valuable you can sell it. Restaurant owners, operators, and managers, before we continue with the episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you know if your marketing is working? Most restaurant owners are relying solely on organic social media and word of mouth marketing. While these are both powerful, they ultimately leave the growth of your restaurant to chance. You can't control algorithms and you certainly can't control what people do but you can use a system that will have a huge impact over time. I'd love to show you the guest magnet method. It's a simple but cohesive system that will accelerate the growth of your restaurant in a way that you can measure. It is backed by 
ROI, a return on your investment. If you want to learn about the most powerful way to grow your restaurant sales this year, send an email to kyle at guestgetter.co with magnet in the subject line, and I'll get you all the details. All right, back to the show. I'm going to quote your book. Uh, this is from Epic Content Marketing, and I know we're, we're mostly talking about content, Inc., but That's here okay. we go. So yeah. if, we, if we think and act like a publisher, we will create more of the content our customers are looking for and less of the content they ignore. One of the biggest challenges in content marketing is to put the needs of our customers ahead of our own and tell stories that connect with people. And so my question here is, um, do you have some practical ways or ideas that, can, that restaurants can use to go about approaching content in that way? Sure, absolutely. This is really hard for restaurants specifically because the most of the restaurant communication I see is all about them and what they're selling, which is not inherently wrong, but it's not going to build the audience you want long-term. So I would, I don't know how sophisticated you want to get with this, but the first thing you have to do is you have to ask yourself, who is your audience? What are, and I would do the, do the, do the planning session. Get your key people at the restaurant together and say, who is our audience? Is it within this mile area? Is it this zip code? Is it somebody that likes certain things? What are their pain points? What keeps them up at night? Boy, if you go through that and you can nail it, then you've really got something. And then you say, okay, what's our expertise and skill area that we have from a communication standpoint that can differentiate us from everyone else? Because you got to remember, and I'm a big fan of, People don't have to know Don, but Don Schultz, the father of integrated marketing, fascinating person. He passed away last year. He always said, and I believe this, he said, your competition can copy everything you do except for how you communicate. This is restaurant people should know this, right? Every recipe can be, I mean, you, you might think that you're special, but people can really duplicate everything you have. But how you communicate and your customer service and how you deal with not only your employees, but your customers, that's what can separate you. That's what you can do different. So we wanna focus on how do, how, does, how do those things come together and how can we really differentiate that? So who is your audience? What can we deliver to them? And then what we wanna do is whatever base we choose. So let's say that's Instagram. Do we really wanna put every picture is a picture of our food? Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but I want you to think, take it an extra step and focus on what the audience's needs are. So are we, are we going after a gluten-free audience? Is it a vegetarian audience? Are these people that don't care about weight and all, and this is all unhealthy stuff and we're living li life like it's our last moments. Like everyone's got the, you know, we know the restaurants we're talking about when you go different direction. Is it about drinking more than about eating? You know, what is this? And then figure out what, what kind of a channel can you create that fosters that? And that's what I would focus on and not have it be about your product, product, product all the time. Because I mean, whether it's a restaurant owner or anyone else, if you're talking about your product all the time, people don't care. Yeah. They care about their own problems. So can you focus on their problems? And maybe you're talking more motor motivation, more aspiration. Maybe instead of just saying, here's our special today, maybe you're saying, here's how you make our special. Yeah. I yeah, I, I, I think that's, I think that's key right there is, you know, how, how do we help people overcome problems? Well, we give them things that are useful, right? We give them, yeah. you know, utility. And so for, for a restaurant and, you know, um, 
you know, I'm sure there are people far more creative than I am, but to me, that looks like, well, uh, give, give folks a look under the hood, you know, show them, That's right. show them how you make your, your bechamel sauce, probably the most basic sauce in the world. But like, how do you, how do you, how do you make your burger? Like, like show us, show us the people too, you know, like tell us those stories. Um, and so, yeah, so that we can, you know, we can try and make this stuff at home and then we come and we, you know, we experience it in the restaurant itself, or, but maybe we just, maybe we're just fans from like, uh, you know, uh, another like half, half the world away. Um, and we just, we just want to learn how you make your stuff. Um, would you, would you say that's like a, does that kind of capture it? Absolutely could do that. I mean, you definitely want to have some personality with this, but you definitely want to deliver. So, so that's where if you could just do it consistently and not interrupt with things that you want to sell, boy, that would be amazing. So if you're doing Instagram videos uh, and you're doing 60 seconds on this recipe today and you do that, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, let's say, and you're arming your, because that's what you got to remember. It's the same thing is true with consulting. I remember we work with a lot of consultants uh, that were selling consulting services for years and years. And they would say, Joe, we can't give away all of our secret sauce because then they won't buy our consulting services. They'll actually go do it themselves. I'm like, well, first of all, if they go do it themselves, you don't want them as customers. I can guarantee you right now, because they're not going to want to pay for your services, but most people don't want to do it themselves. So people will be so, in your case, they'll be so intrigued with these recipes and how they're built and your own family secret sauce or what you do differently or the personality that goes into that or how long it takes or short it takes or whatever your content tilt is, whatever your differentiation is, you go in and every episode has that. What makes you different? I mean, like, look at, you know, five guys burgers. I mean, how do you know five? There's always five people working at the back and they always switch shifts. You know, that's just, that's one thing that makes them different off of everything else. You know what? They lean into that. And of course they put the name on there too. So yeah, if you can do that every time, then you have something The the difference is, and the warning is it's just a new muscle that most restaurants don't use. So they're not used to communicating this way. They think that, oh, we need location targeting and we need to be on Yelp and we need to have our good reviews. And you know what? Maybe you do, but those things are secondary to, well, if I really build a loyal audience over a long period of time and I have a direct connection with them, those other channels aren't as important as they become because we've really relinquished all of these control, like, uh, you know, Uber Eats and Grubhub uh, and DoorDash have become, in a lot of cases, a savior and then also a menace to a lot of restaurants because you're beholden to, oh, do I raise prices? What's going on? And I, you know, so there's, there's good and bad. Well, what if you what if you had the direct audience? Well, it changes a lot of things, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, in an industry that you know lives and dies by, or it seemingly lives and dies by Google reviews, um, you know, how powerful is it that you can you can do something, you can create a channel that, where some of that stuff just becomes irrelevant because you have such a a loyal fan base. Um, you you have the platform to to sort of combat those things, and so. Um, as you're speaking, something else that, that occurs to me is like you could you could take an approach like you know like a like a talk show host. Let's say your founder or a manager is like you know the Oprah of your establishment or, or Ellen or, or whatever. And um, so I have I have two, and it's just a good way to, to to give personality. And so I have two questions. One is uh, you know would you do you think that's a, a good idea? And and let, let's start with that. Do you think like like having sort of a 
a host would be a, a good idea. You know, I, it's funny you bring this up. I thought I've been thinking this for a long time and maybe you know of examples. And if you do, I would love to know. But I always thought it would be because a lot of the restaurant owners in the Cleveland area are um, extroverts. Mm -hmm. They're very, very flamboyant. I mean, Michael Simon, if you know Michael Simon, he comes to mind. He's on the chew all the time. He owns a lot of restaurants here in Cleveland. He's very flamboyant and he's a great speaker and great interviewer. I always thought if you're a local restaurant and you do cater locally, why can't, why couldn't somebody interview the customers on a regular basis? And I'm not just saying, why do you come in? I mean, you might ask, why do you come into our restaurant? But really what you want to do is you have a customer, you build a relationship with them. Let's put the spotlight on the customer and talk about them locally. Can you imagine somebody as on a podcast for the restaurant? Do you imagine how much they would share that with their friends? Oh, like, oh I'm on there. And it's like a 30 minutes of, you know, get to know Judy yeah. from, you know, Rochester street down there and let's talk to them. And we've, you know, Judy, you've been coming in for years and we love you. And I, we want to know more about you. I think that that stuff would just take off just from the shareability aspect, but I don't see a lot of restaurants doing it. No, I, and it's, it's such an opportunity. It's like, yeah, okay. Like, yes, let's tell stories about our, our employees and stuff like that, but also about the people who, who come in. And, you know, it's that, that idea of like the, the Seth Godin quote, um, people, people like us do things like this, you know, the, the, yeah. the whole notion of tribes. And, um, and so, yeah, I guess ultimately this is, I mean, the word tribes is kind of overused, I find, but yeah, that's, we're, we're building our tribe here and, and, and we, we grow those uh, through, through the stories, both of, you know, our, our employees, but also those who, uh, who come, to, who come to see us. And that, that idea of, of building a really strong tribe, um, that'll be compelling enough for some folks. But I imagine some of the listeners here are probably thinking, damn, that would be awesome. But how, like, is the juice worth the squeeze? How do I know, okay, if I go to all this trouble and I make these videos and I do interviews, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I build this, this channel. How do I know that it's actually like I'm getting a return from it? How would you, how would you go about answering that question? Well, I mean, you, after it takes time, but you can measure these things. Mm -hmm. it, so I'll give you a quick example. And this is for content marketing Institute. We were doing a lot of different content and I'm trying to figure out what works. And we've got people subscribe to our magazine. We've got people subscribed to the blog. We got people that are signed up to listen to the podcast, all kinds of stuff is going on at the same time. And we really started to do some analytical work and we looked in and we deep. And what we found out is that those of our customers that engaged with at least three things, didn't matter which things, did they, did they subscribe to the newsletter? Did they sign up for our webinars? We did lots of different things, but if it was three, these were our best customers. They spent more on everything. They were the first to sign up. Like these are the ones that we just love. They were our, absolutely our best. Three, that was our number. That may not be a restaurant's number. That might just be our number, but you always find out. But so what you want to ask is when you start anything like this, and let's say, let's use that pot. Not, let's not do the video example. I like the podcast example. If we did a podcast interview, which doesn't cost much, you basically need a great microphone like you and I are using, and then you need a format, uh, uh, something like a Libsyn to upload them and syndicate it out. It, you know, less than 300 bucks, you're starting, you're good to go. Easy. So you yeah. don't need, it's easy to do. Yeah. Then you just need to build an audience for it. 
if you go ahead and did that and tried it out, you have to start with in mind. It's like, okay, I have to remember what the people that listen to this, what makes them special? Do they buy more? Do they come back more often to the restaurant? Do they buy other things? Do, are these our best advocates that go and share? The answer might be one of them. The answer might be all of them. We don't know. But those are the things that you want to set up ahead of time so that you can, and it doesn't take much. It's just strategy. It's just planning it out ahead of time. So I'm, I'm a big fan of every, like restaurants seem to go, have gone way on to the Instagram and to the video side because it's such a food is so visual. Yes, but we don't have to start out there. We could first test out something that's audio or something that's uh, an email newsletter or something different where we don't have to spend so much time and money to do it. So I would say, don't just jump in and do what everyone else is doing. You know, are there are a lot of restaurants doing podcasts. I don't know. Maybe we don't hear about them as much, do we? No. Maybe there's an opportunity and maybe that's your differentiation area because you have the podcast while everyone else is fumbling around on YouTube or Instagram. So anyways, that's what I would say is first ask the question of why you're doing, what's the hypothesis? We believe the behavior of people that listen to this, that watch this, that open this email, whatever, that they behave differently. We want to set up some measures ahead of time so that in nine to 12 months, we can be pretty sure that say, look, we've seen a jump. We know this is working or... We don't know if it's helping us with the restaurant, but we've created such an audience. We can sell other things now. So those, those things are in play. Yeah. I think, I think it's the takeaway for, for me here is, um, you know, while a lot of restaurants tend to, you know, kind of like it's, a, it's often a tight knit community, a local community. They're looking to the restaurants or getting ideas from them. I think that the takeaway for me is instead of doing that, why don't you look to major publications around the world? Look, look at the Economist. look at, you know, Time Magazine, see how they're developing their content to source some ideas because it's a real opportunity for restaurants who aren't using content in this way. Most, most restaurants, yeah, definitely don't have a podcast. Most don't have a blog. Um, you know, maybe you're a restaurant and you come up with your own magazine. I don't know. But um, yeah, so I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a real, real opportunity. Um, By the way, that's a great point. I mean, you might be able to do a local consortium to support the magazine, but just hear me out. Everybody's, everyone's talking digital and they're not talking print, but the last I checked, there's still people getting mail. So as long as people are getting mail, there is an address that people can send something to. And what has happened over the last five years, great print magazines and subscriptions have gone away. You don't get many of those anymore, right? You used to get a lot of them for free. You don't. Well, what if you did? Yep. What if you so again, I'm using local examples. This could be for chains or whatever, but I'm using local restaurant owners. What if you were the, here's what's going on in our city magazine? Mm -hmm. What if that was brought to you by you and people would subscribe to that and you would get, oh my God, you've got the whole uh, city signed up for this thing. And then you're driving revenue. Then you're making profit. Then you're launching newsletters off of that you're you become a media company that also has a restaurant instead of a restaurant who has a newsletter so i mean so a last example and everybody knows red bull especially in the restaurant industry because a lot of restaurants sell red bull but i use this example all the time red bull and red bull media house they're two separate entities if you said which is more valuable i don't know the answer to that red bull is uh you know, is I would say Red Bull is a media company that sells energy drinks. 
because I know the inner workings of it. And if you're ever interested, go to Red Bull Media House. But I think that's how restaurant owners need to think is what we it's not we're not just the food that we offer. We do a lot of different things. We're more about the audience we serve and how we serve that audience. And if you focus on that first before putting one recipe down, I think that you'll be an advantage over every other restaurant out there. That's that's awesome. I actually, I, sorry, one more idea I want to float by you. I, I'm I really I'm keen to 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 try this campaign on Precise, a print campaign. Uh, have you ever heard of um like lumpy mail? You know, mail where like you get you get like uh, an envelope and it's lumpy because it's got like a little knickknack in it. Okay, no, I haven't. I was thinking like a value pack, but what you're talking about is something different. So go ahead. It's like a it's from I forget which direct response marketer came up with it, but basically it's like if you get a piece of mail with like that's lumpy, you're probably gonna open it, right? Yeah. Um, and so I I'm keen to I, I want to find you know I want to aggregate like a certain segment of the audience in my city, maybe maybe it's just like a hundred or five like five hundred people who I'm keen to have come into our restaurant. Well, I'm gonna like I'm gonna you know, write a, a direct response style letter, or a letter that, you know, sort of invites them. It's like an exclusive invite to come in and there's like a little knickknack attached. And I just, you know, what if you appeal to a certain segment of the audience in your city uh, to get them to come in and, and that those people became regulars? You know, I just, I don't know. I just, what, what do you think of an idea like that? I think that's, I, th I think anything anything using direct mail right now needs to be in play yeah. because people are noticing when they didn't before. And what's happened is, is digital's become cluttered, but traditional mail has not. I mean, outside of all the spam, right? You get, oh, okay. Well, that letter, that letter, that letter. But when you see a handwritten, like I just did a, what we did is did a whole promotional campaign for, for content Inc. And we sent out a book and some cookies and a handwritten envelope. Uh, with them. And I've never seen a response like this because people were responding not only to the cookies, maybe that's your lumpy mail type of thing. You're sending them something they actually want, but the handwritten note, people went crazy over. Like, I can't believe Joe sent me a handwritten note. Not, it took me, you know, a minute or two to write each one. It wasn't like the, but if you're doing something like that, very targeted, you're targeting your audience, maybe some influ influential people around an event or whatever, you've got to be looking at those things over let's do some geolocated promotional thing, which I don't have a problem with. I mean, we definitely want to use technology, but I think we fought, we've forgotten just about reg, good old regular communications, especially consistently done and an impact that they can make. So I think those things are in play. I'm a bigger fan of something regular because I think if you said, look, I, we want every other month, we want to do the magazine for our our location around this topic or on all the great things that are going on or whatever small business things you're talking about. Could you get six or seven or eight or nine or 10 small businesses to pitch in for that? I think the answer would be yes, absolutely today. So, you know, then you just have to produce it on an ongoing basis. So, so th there, those things, I just, for some reason, we forgot about print and we forgot about newspapers and when everyone forget, you want to, Whenever everybody zigs, that's your time to zag, right? So do something different. Totally. Well, Joe, this has been uh, freaking awesome. Um, are you up for a little uh, rapid fire round? Uh, to, oh, to sure. I, I, yeah, I don't know what my, my answers are going to be, but I'll, I'll exactly. give it a shot. <laughs> First of all, before I get into the, to, to the, to the rapid fire round, I, um, I want to ask, in, in addition to, is there anything in addition to what we've covered here today that is like a top takeaway from uh, 
Content Inc. 2.0 you think our audience should really just have in their back pocket? Well, first of all, if you're asking the thing that changed my life and the reason why we were able to have, my wife and I were able to have a successful exit is because of goal setting. I'm a big goal setter. I like to write them down, like actually pen and paper, and I review them every day. So I think that, and I, so I would say not only goal, not only career goals, not only financial goals, but philanthropic goals, spiritual goals, mental goals, and physical goals. And you need to review those on, on a regular basis. So that saved me. And that was one of the reasons why we had a successful exit because of the goal setting and that we looked at it every day and I'm like, okay, well, we wanted to have, we wanted to sell the business. This was in 2008. We wanted to sell the business in 2015. Well, okay. I, we wanted to have X millions of dollars by 2015, what do we have to do? So I had to review that and I had to make decisions every day because of that. And what I find out from a lot of small business owners is they don't know what their exit is. They just work the business. That's a very tough place to be in, whether you're successful or not successful. You're very reactive then. And I want a restaurant owner to be proactive. So we talk about that in the book. We wrap all the content around that so that you can have a really good start. Or if you're in the middle of, middle of your business, you can actually go back and say, okay, I've got to figure these things out and I got to figure out how am I going to exit. Every business, no matter what you do, you should know your exit. Don't say, oh, my kids are going to take it over or we'll find a buyer or we'll just, I'm just going to die with it. Don't, I mean, you need to have these things on paper. I've been in too many situations re recently where, this business, the, the significant other is just like, what are we going to do with the business now? You know, George just died or what, whatever the case is. What, and everything's up in the air because nobody had a plan. I'm like, this is very easy to do. You can do the plan. So get, I would get started on that right away. Awesome. Great, great advice. Okay. So this rapid fire round, it's a bit of a roller coaster. They might not all be easy. So um, okay. I, I guess I just ask that you answer with as little thought as possible. Okay. Uh, I will try. Okay. What's your, do you have a favorite cocktail? Uh, Tito's and tonic. Cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a cocktail, but I'm drinking Tito's. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, what was the most challenging, hardest point of your career? Uh, we lost our biggest customer and I thought I'd have to go back and get a real job. That was in 2009. What resource has had the biggest impact on you? Uh, I, Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. It's a science fiction book, but the book is all about focus. And when I decided to focus on something instead of being jack of all trades, it changed my life. In your life or career or both, what, what are you most proud of? Uh, my wife and kids. What's one thing most people get wrong about content? Oh, geez, there's so many that they have to be everywhere their customers are at online, which is not true. Love it. What are you most excited about this year? What's the thing on the horizon for you that you're just like jacked about? Uh, oh, well, for our business, we have this research study coming out in two months on the content entrepreneur. And I'm just so excited about it because nobody's ever done a research project about a content creator actually trying to build a long-term financial sustainable business. And I'm very excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, just two more here. If someone were to give you like $50,000, let's say grant money uh, to grow your business right now, how would you spend it? I'd focus on the smallest niche audience possible 
And I'd find whatever that solution is, and then I'd create the best e-newsletter on the planet for that, for that group of people. <laughs> um, and then finally, is there anything I, I should have asked you, but I didn't? Uh, geez, I, I don't know. I would say, you know, the, the thing with the, I love the whole focus on restaurants and I, restaurateurs are so passionate about the food they serve and, and that's wonderful. And I, I wonder if we took more of that passion and put that into our customer base, how that would change our business. Love that. Or our content. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're, if you get up every day, I mean, that's what I try to do. It's very hard to do, but if you get up every day and you say, well, what can I deliver to my audience today? That is not my product or service, or that is just information that can help them to your point that's utilitarian. And if you do that every day, you will have a successful business, but people don't think about an audience first, audience first, and then sales, they think of sales and then, oh, I'll do some content stuff. So if you can focus, I think this is the best business model on the planet, because if you build this loyal audience, your audience will tell you exactly what they will buy from you. They will tell you. It's just that it takes nine to 12 to 18 months to get there. And most people give up before that. 100%. Uh, well, Joe, this has been amazing and such an honor to, uh, to interview you. I, I really appreciate you and, and, and you coming on. Is there, where, where should people go to learn more about you? Sure. Yeah. Our new thing is the tilt, uh, the tilt.com. If you, it's a two time a week e-newsletter, it's all about content creation, about the stuff we were talking about. So please go check that out and subscribe. We'd love to have you as part of our subscription base. You can get the, the new book which just released content-inc.com, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere else you can get it. Um, we talk about the whole model. I think any restaurant owner, any small business will get a couple really amazing nuggets out of it. Um, that might change your thinking about what your business really is. And then on social media, I'm at Joe Pulizzi, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I, -Z -Z everywhere, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all that good stuff. Awesome. Th thanks so much, Joe. Kyle, appreciate your time. Likewise. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Guest Getter. I'm your host, Kyle Guilfoyle. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Joe today about how to grow your restaurant through content marketing. As always, you can head over to guestgetter.co to check out the resources in this episode's show notes and sign up for our weekly newsletter. That is it for today. We'll see you next time.